you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. morning, Southside. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Adam. I'm the student pastor here among many different hats that I've worn. Uh, but I want to welcome you today, wish you happy Father's Day. Uh, I'd like to know any, any fathers in the room? A few. Okay, that's great. Uh, if you're newer to church, you maybe don't know about the, today being a church holiday. You see, on Mother's Day, the way it works in the church world is mothers get to snap their fingers and say, you all are coming to church with me. And it happens. On Father's Day, fathers get to say, I'm not going to church with y'all today. And they don't actually have to come. So look around at the fathers that made the choice to come today. And let's give them a round of applause because that is fantastic. Uh, In my new role as a student pastor, it's just so incredibly important that we're modeling for our high schoolers, for our middle schoolers, what it means to be faithful, I think, in coming to church every single week. That is sort of a a thing that's kind of gone by the wayside, and your presence here today models something incredibly important for our teens, and so I want to say thank you for that. Uh, I have a 12-year-old son and a 10-year-old son and a 4-year-old daughter, and if we ever show up on a Sunday and there's a familiar face that's missing, they sometimes want to know, where is so-and-so, where is so-and-so? So from here on forward, if you're ever not here on a Sunday and they ask, I'm going to make them call you and you're going to have to tell us where you were. And if it doesn't, you know, rise to their standard, you're going to have some explaining to do. Uh, But this, you know, Father's Day, we have a chance to celebrate what what fathers do in our lives. And one of the biggest things that fathers can offer to us is love. And as we continue our sermon series looking at uh, the encouragement that we get from the book of uh, 1 Peter, we're going to dive in today and look more at love. But it's a different kind of love that we're going to be looking at today. It's not the love between a father and a child. It's love amongst Christ followers, love that we should be extending to one another. So we're going to dive into that here in uh, just a minute. Um, But before we do, I want you to think about how we see love existing in our world today. For the relationships that that we have between one another, I wonder if we've maybe gone too far to one end of the spectrum where we could be very personal, interacting with each other, Uh, existing within the same room as the people that we love, if we haven't traded that maybe a little bit, uh, for maybe a screen-based relationship, oh, it's so-and-so, I know they're going through a hard time, I'll just send them a text. Or, you know what, I'll just, I'll message them on Facebook. And I want to just encourage us to, to hit the pause button on that and make sure that the relationships that we're investing in with one another, that they are real and that they are deep and that they are healthy. I think the verses that we look at today in 1 Peter are going to help confirm that for us. Now, before we get into uh, the words that we, that we have uh, in today's passage, I want to sort of use Father's Day as sort of a creative backdrop, because the love that we're going to look at, compared to what we're used to in the world today, is going to seem kind of strange. And so I want to talk about some of the strange things that fathers do. Anybody have a father that's ever done anything, even remotely, that could be construed as strange? That was sort of my entire childhood, and so I'm choosing to pass that along uh, to my children. 
But one of the strange things I know about fathers is uh, we like to be right. And that's not the same thing as husbands enjoying when they get to be right. Fathers, it's a whole different thing. They sort of want to do right by their children. If there's a problem, they want to dig down deep. They want to, you know, they want to just surround themselves with all of the possible information to make sure that the conclusion that they reach in front of their children, like it's just stacked in their favor, and they're going to come out the hero. Now, I'm curious. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever used Netflix? Keep your hands up if you're actually using your own login and you're not borrowing it from somebody. <laughs> the number dropped considerably. Well, there's, there's a great documentary on Netflix right now called The Perfect Bid. Anybody seen that by chance? I watched it while folding laundry one night. It, was, it, it gripped me. This tells the true story of a gentleman that from childhood fell in love with a show called The Price is Right. And he realized that between tapings of shows that the pricing for certain products was consistent. And so for the next 35 years, he made spreadsheet after spreadsheet, flashcard after flashcard, and he memorized every single price to the exact dollar amount of every product that was ever on The Price is Right. He appeared in the audience more than 40 times. He taped as a contestant twice, and uh, towards the end of the time that Bob Barker was hosting the show, uh, he helped manufacture the first and only perfect bid for a showcase showdown. It was one of the only times in the taping of the show that they had to stop the live uh, air feed of it because the producers thought something had run amok. This is somebody who stacked the deck in his favor to make sure that he was able to get it right. And that is what Peter's doing for these young Christians that he was writing, these scattered exiles. This is a strange love, Peter says, that offers us the chance as Christians to get love right. This is what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply and from the heart. Again, the audience here, Peter's speaking to Christians and encouraging them to love one another deeply. This isn't sort of the turn the other cheek and let, let, you know, let your love go before all people. This is make sure that you are loving each other deeply and from the heart. So we can't overlook sort of the familiar encouragement here. Peter's saying you should be extending love to other Christians, not because of some position of authority or a favor they can do for you or because they're more successful. It should have nothing to do with who they are other and their identity in Christ. Peter's saying, because you have brothers and sisters in Christ, they are worthy of your love. And that should shape and guide our actions with one another. There's some sort of common bond or some linking that occurs between people who have made that decision to follow Christ. For people that have professed their faith and a deep and true and abounding love needs to exist between them. I think that's true for us today. It needs to exist within us. And if anything, these verses here speak to some sort of maybe maturity in our faith. It's sort of like the brother and sister love you may have or may not have grown up with. I remember there was a period of time we called the 1980s. And uh, during the 80s, um, my parents had the nerve to provide me with an older sister. 
exactly. You maybe have met her. There were about uh, eight or nine years there where I could not for the life of me figure out why they kept her around, right? Right? She was better at everything. She was smarter. Uh, just everything about her kind of repulsed me. And in my immaturity, I thought, this person, of all people, despite the fact that their bedroom door is five feet from mine, they are not worthy of my love. However, as things change over time, and I've grown up and I've matured, uh, I, in fact, not that anybody's keeping score, I initiate phone conversations with her more than she does to me, all right? I, I love my sister because, if for no other reason, she's my sister. And that's what Peter's saying to us. If for no other reason than because they are your brother or sister in Christ, they are worthy of your love. He continues this way, verses 23 through 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. He quotes from Isaiah here. For all people are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. In a world where everything is destined for death and decay, the hope that Jesus offers turns that on its head. It is through the word of the Lord that is enduring that we have an eternal hope. And that should shape, that should flavor the strange love that should exist between all of us. God wants us to understand that not only were we purified for a purpose of brotherly love, but in and through the word of the Lord that we have a chance to represent and carry with us wherever it is that we go. As believers, we're born again into an eternal life, and that eternal, decay-proof life begets an eternal and decay-proof love that we can extend from one person to another. That is the only thing that fits the bill of what Jesus did, a love that can exist amongst his followers. Now, there's another thing that's kind of uh, strange about fathers. Maybe you have had a father or you, in fact, are a father that has kind of an interesting view on nutrition. Uh, a couple days ago, in fact, uh, a week ago from yesterday, I hosted an event for our high school students uh, called a donut crawl. I don't know if that was affirmation or um, anger and rage, what I just heard there. But the idea is we want to spend time with our high school students. We want to be able to kick up some conversation. We want to kind of hear what's going on in their lives. And we thought, let's dangle the carrot of donuts. And not just a dozen donuts. Let's go to every single place in Springfield that manufactures donuts that is within a reasonable walking distance to the next place. We started at Mellow Cream in Fairhills Mall. We went to Dunkin' Donuts. Do you guys get the nutritional value here? This is pretty good stuff. We went to Quick and Easy. We crossed the very busy street and went to Starbucks. They don't uh, sell donuts, but they know how to make a cup of coffee, so we stopped there. And then we went and had this wonderful group shot taken at Krispy Kreme. Now, if you were to ask the average mother, is it a good idea to subject young people to all those calories, they'd probably say, and correctly so, no. But as a father, I thought, hey, this is, this is a thing we ought to allow for, uh, for our students. And fathers maybe don't get the greatest uh, reputation for the way that they kind of nourish and feed our children. I bet if you were to compare the menu at your house growing up, if you had a dad that ever fixed a meal, if you were to compare the nutritional content to what your dad put on the table compared to what your mom put on the table, it's probably pretty different. 
Uh, I remember about three or four years ago now when the boys were seven and nine over Christmas break. Uh, Adrian was too little to kind of make the trip, but I took the boys down to uh, my mom's condo in Florida, and we went by way of New Orleans. And so that first day of driving, we had about 11 hours that we were supposed to be on the road. I did not speed, and we made it there in 11 hours and 20 minutes. That means over the distance from Springfield to New Orleans, we stopped two times for a total of 20 minutes because I did not let my children drink a drop of liquid sustenance. (laughs) That's 100% true. That's 100% true because... I said, I'm going to control what goes into my child so I can have the desired outcome. <laughs> We're going to make a little turn here. And I think that's what Peter's doing for us here in these verses. He's, he's going to tell us right now about how we can kind of control the things that we do or do not allow into our body to shape that outcome. This strange love, I think, Peter's teaching us is something that can help offer us real growth. Listen to what he says here. Just in this first verse of chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, at first read, that may not sound like a passage rooted in growth or making sure that we have sort of the right nutrition within our spiritual lives, but it's a, it's a very simple concept. This is the idea of growth through subtraction. If you've ever said, man, I need some more room in the garage, you've got a couple options. You can add another garage somewhere on your property, or you can clear out what is cluttering up your current garage. You can donate the old bikes to Goodwill. You can make sure you put the boxes on the shelves. It's the idea of addition through subtraction. And Peter's giving a very clear list here of things that we need to subtract from our lives as Christ followers so that we can have the healthiest possible outcome between one another. Everything on that list, just in that verse there, I'm sure we could all consider ourselves somewhat of experts on, not because we've studied it or done a word study or looked up the definition in the dictionary, but because we know what it looks like for those things to manifest themselves in our lives. And Peter's warning us, make sure you steer clear. He says this in verses 2 and 3, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you've ever had an appetite for something that was unhealthy, say, every donut sold in Springfield, and you said no, the appetite does not go away. Saying no to something that's poor in quality for you does not somehow meet that need, but it gives you a chance to seek out what your body actually needs And Peter is saying here, if we can get rid of those bad appetites, those things that are not good for us, if we can take that bad fruit out, it can pave the way for this pure spiritual milk. Each of those five things that Peter lists in the first verse um, are, are some sort of a degenerate appetite. It's our body longing for something, our spiritual body longing for something that it doesn't really need. Malice, that's an appetite to do the wrong thing. Deceit is an appetite to misrepresent the truth. Hypocrisy is an appetite to live contrary to what you would expect from other people, including other believers. Envy is probably the easiest to look at, and that's an appetite for what isn't yours to begin with. And finally, slander is an appetite for damaging someone else's reputation. 
So if we can forego the consumption of that bad nutrition and bring in this pure spiritual milk, Peter's saying things will go great for us as followers of Christ in our relationships with others. And I've heard that, I've heard that verse used lots of different ways in terms of the depth of teaching that we should, that we should see at church. And, you know, I'm, I'm ready to move on from that, from that uh, spiritual milk. I think we've lost the point sometimes on that. If you've ever seen a young child, a baby, an infant, and it is time to eat, and the ferociousness that they have at feeding time, I mean, it shuts down the whole household until that is satisfied. And that's what we need to have in our spiritual lives, that we are seeking out, that we are rooting out the healthiest possible things as believers of Christ, and that we put off the bad appetites. Another strange thing about uh, fathers, and listen, listen to the wording on this, we like watching things being built. Not everybody, not everybody likes to build things. Some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, I'm in the category, the older I get, uh, rather than watch me do this, I like the idea of watching me pay someone to do this. <laughs> Happened about age 36. Somewhere in there I said, this is not, this is not worth me doing it uh, anymore. But you know, um, there's this great little tool we have on the internet called YouTube. Uh, you have the ability to watch things being built. Uh, for instance, you can watch the time-lapse construction of a skyscraper. Now, I dare you, fathers, to put that on a screen anywhere in your house and have your children walk by it and not just be engrossed with it, right? It's something just fascinating to see something go from nothing to something. Uh, when LRS recently added on uh, on their property in Monroe, it's just north of our neighborhood, sort of, kind of, on the way for me to drop the kids off at school. Uh, but when construction was taking place and they had the cranes and they were pouring cement, uh, the boys and I would kind of go out of our way. We would just park, we would sit there, and we'd watch. Because there's something beautiful about this foundation being built. We drive by it now and we see the building, but our, my boys can look back and say, I know what the foundation of that building looks like. Because they were there and they saw that. All sorts of things that we like to, to watch being built. Uh, around our neighborhood, uh, they laid fresh asphalt a couple years ago. This great, ingenious milling machine that took this old road, crumbled it up, did some magical process on the inner workings, and produced this fresh new asphalt behind it. My kids were just amazed, absolutely amazed at watching this new thing being built. I think that's something that Peter's getting at in these next verses. Talks about the strange love offering a foundation, and it's a foundation we can find nowhere else. This is what he says in verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this, this uh, imagery of stone is something that's just rooted throughout uh, messianic prophecy, through the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, Peter's about to quote a couple of sort of stone imagery. Uh, one is going to be from uh, Psalm 118, from which earlier in the call to worship were the verses leading up to that. Again, he's going to quote Isaiah to get these sort of passages of, of, of stone. And it's so important that we don't lose sight. It's not just a solid rock foundation it is a risen Lord. The hope that we have in and through Jesus is not just because of his faithfulness or his steadfastness, something that we see represented in the stone imagery. It's because that man 
through his own identity, was able to conquer death, something that's been done so few times and only once through someone's own power. And that is the hope that we have in Jesus. When we are drawn to him and we come closer to him, we get to be in that same category, spiritual stones, it says. Now, here are these Old Testament passages, verses 6 through 8. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And... A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But that's the picture here. Jesus, Messiah, a resurrected Lord offering a foundation that nobody can shake. It doesn't matter that Jesus was rejected or cast aside because he was chosen by God. And the recipients of Peter's writing here would have felt something in that. They were rejected. They were an exiled. The scattered exiles is how this letter starts. They would have known something about feeling rejected. And Peter's offering hope here. Despite the fact that you feel, and in fact in reality are, rejected, you are still chosen by God. And that paints probably the most realistic picture of this strange love that Peter is writing about. Though these people were rejected, they still have value to God, if for no other reason, because they are his children. Luke echoed the same sentiment in the book of Acts, uh, citing even these same words from Psalm 118 in Acts 4, 11 through 12. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that is the reason for Peter writing to these scattered exiles. There is no other name by which we might be saved. I I think about the people who make the decision to follow Jesus for the very first time. And what, what a revolutionary, life-changing thing that must be. Your, your entire identity is changed. The way you see the world looks completely different. I think that's true a lot of times when we enter into fatherhood as well. I'm just curious. Any, is, is this Father's Day the first Father's Day for anybody in the room? Dur- during the course of the last 12 months, you've had your first child, you've become a stepfather, you've started fostering. Is that anybody? Right here. Let's give a round of applause over here. And in fact, because I am such a fan of dad nutrition, uh, I have a cinnamon roll that Eric Noggle is going to deliver you to your seat. (laughs) This man has permission not only to eat that, but he can eat it as loudly as he wants, and he can make as many crumbs as he needs to. But think about it. The identity that you have and how things can change in your life, Jesus offers that to all people. And I'm assuming as you've heard these words today, you fall into one of three categories. The first category would be this. You love every Christian believer in the exact perfect way. And because that applies to 0. There's five zeros and then a three. Percent of us, I'm going to move on to category number two. If 
you're in this category, you love Jesus. You really do. And you hear these words, and you know that you should love those people around you, but it, it doesn't just seem to take root. You understand it on a, on a conceptual brain level, but you have a hard time executing it on a heart level. I want to borrow the words from a 14th century French proverb that says, love and a cough cannot be hid. If you've ever had a cough just welling up inside of you and you know this, this thing is coming out, you know the power that that has. A right and healthy relationship with Jesus has the ability to produce love in us very much like that, love that cannot be hidden. So if you're sitting there wondering, gosh, how do I sort of muster this strange love that Adam's talking about? How do I sort of, you know, put the happy face on and make this happen in my life? I don't think it works that way. I'd say focus on your relationship with Jesus, let him be Lord in your life, and let this fruit take hold. And finally, if you're in the third category here, you might be sitting there thinking, this is all good and well. I understand, uh, you know, you pass out donuts and you like to have a good time every now and then, but I don't quite see how this applies to me. First of all, I want to say thank you for being here. I hope, I hope if nothing else, we've given you a front row seat to, to some very powerful teaching in the New Testament. But I want to say this. Take a close eye at the church. Look very carefully at Jesus' followers and let them affirm for you this strange love. Watch it take hold from one to another and ask yourself, is this something that I would like to be a part of? Because that's your chance to respond to the gospel message. Is Jesus who he says he was? Is he able to do the things that I read in Scripture? And if so, can I make that choice to follow him? But whatever category you find yourself in today, I think we can agree on a few things. Fathers, we can be pretty strange. And the love that God offers us is very strange. But we are to extend that to one another. Let's be strange. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the love that you extend to us. We're thankful for the hope that we have in and through Jesus, for the access that we have to your word, for the hope-filled message that we can see from, from Scripture. God, thank you for a chance to worship you today. May you receive uh, our time in this room. May you receive the songs that we sing, the Scripture that we read. as something that is pleasing to you to build up your church. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen.